You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. five biggest stories on our websites and discuss the implications they have on the industry moving forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Anna, Ben, or David at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We're also live every week at 1.30 on Sunday. Subscribe to us on YouTube at IEN Magazine to get a notification. Anna, not live on Thursday this week because of just so many things going on. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of snow that kind of got in our way yesterday, which in Wisconsin, we try to not let that happen, but it did. Yeah, it's yeah. normally we persevere. But see, I thought I was going to throw it. I thought I was going to be the monkey with the wrench, mm-hmm. you know, because I had the red eye. I just had so many moving parts to get me here by 1.30 and the fact that all of them went right in order to get here and then it was snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, around 1.30 yesterday, I was stranded on an interstate. Um, ben, thanks again for joining us. Uh, are you excited for your first episode of the Today Manufacturing Podcast? Yeah, I mean, very excited. This is great and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Those are all believable. Yeah, it really rings. <laughs> yeah. Really rings true. Yeah, then. okay. I, I, yeah, I want to come across as genuine. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> all right, he is gonna call it how he sees it today. But before we get started, we have a word from our sponsor, Unit Two Hundred Two Productions. If you aren't creating video content for your business, you're missing out. Why is video so important? Increase conversions, increase email marketing click-through rates, improve SEO, build trust, help explain complex subjects and equipment, and improve social media engagement. How many of you view video content on a daily basis? Isn't it time people start viewing some of yours? Promote your brand with Unit 202. Let's get to work. And we're back. And before we get to our first story, just a reminder that if you want more information on Unit 202 Productions, just click the link below in the live chat or you can click the link down in the body copy. Our first story this week, another solar EV startup on life support. Three friends founded Sono Motors in 2016. The German automotive startup gained attention with the prospect of bringing a mid-sized solar EV crossover to the market. The Scion had an eye-catching price point of about $29,900 and a 189-mile range. Unfortunately, the company is fighting for its life and trying to stay afloat using a crowdfunding-style campaign that asks people to pay up front or kind of just give what they can. On January 26th, 2023, Sono extended the quote, not quote, hashtag Save Scion campaign until February 28th because talks with potential investors have been promising. As of this story, the campaign, as of this podcast, the campaign has raised $52.4 million. 
but its goal is a lofty 112 million. The effort may sound risky, but the company hopes the numbers will sway investors. The company has more than 44,000 total reservations, 3,500 of them fully paid, more than 21,000 private reservations that have deposits, and some 22,000 non-binding B2B pre-orders. The, uh, the reservations and pre-orders are the equivalent to net sales of about $1 billion if every sale goes through. Ben, on the Hashtag save Scion page. The company pleads, the future is worth fighting for. Does this company have a future? Yeah, I think it. Uh, I think it could. Um, if the if the response is what they are hoping for, then it could kind of uh, sway things. But it seems like confidence in solar powered EVs is maybe a little bit low mm-hmm. right now, considering. Lightyear, which is another um, solar-powered EV maker based in Europe, just declared bankruptcy. Um, but the Scion seems like a much more uh, reasonably or an affordable option mm-hmm. uh, compared to what uh, Lightyear was uh, putting forth. And so um, it just seems like something that could generate a little bit more of a crowd response. Okay. Um, what were, when you saw the Scion, you know, is it something you would drive? Yeah, we actually ran something on their crash test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it looked like the unliving uh, crash test dummy lived. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is a big one for me with yeah. any any vehicle. I want to live. So. Yeah. No, that is <laughs> one of, that's the first outcome. safety feature I look for is will I live? <laughs> um, Anna, your thoughts on Save Scion's sort of creative attempt to keep the company going. So um, my first question is this. If everyone gets their money back, if they don't get these cars produced and and can sell them to them in the end, mm-hmm. where do they get the money if they spend it all on making the cars? Well, no. So they're not taking any of the money now. If they make it to... Oh, so you're saying if they hit... 112 million, but things still fall through and they can't make the cars and they've already cashed the checks. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a little risky. Mm-hmm. It's, but I mean, it's like a really high stakes Kickstarter because this happens all the time on Kickstarter yeah. where a campaign is fully funded, but they run into problems with manufacturing. It actually happens a lot with 3D printers. 3D printers, particularly on mm-hmm. uh, Kickstarter, because a lot of these are startups that don't know how to run a manufacturing business, don't know much about production. They get all of the funds and they're like, yeah, we were way short. Right. And if you were to file for bankruptcy, for example, um, I don't know what the r- rules are around, like, are these people considered creditors, creditors yeah. in, you know, in that sense, since it's sort of this, uh, uh, I don't know, unorthodox source of funding. Um, I don't know. If anybody knows. I think they are, <laughs> but I think depending, I mean, this might be different because some people are putting up pretty substantial uh, sums of money. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Kickstarter, when the company goes under, it's, you know, if you paid for a $500 printer, you might just, just be out. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, uh, the, the CEO of the company um, used the phrase, change is always possible if we take matters into our own hands. I thought that was a very cool statement. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate his optimism and enthusiasm, I think it's cool that they're trying to pivot and make this work still. Although I will say that in automotive, the deck is really stacked against you, especially 
um, as we discussed last week, when it comes to something like this, that's a super untested technology. Yeah. Um, if you look at how many like hard costs any automaker has, and then you add to it the fact that this is just all R and D and so so much testing, um, it's really expensive to put this out. Right? There's no yeah. scale. There's just no cost savings really in place whatsoever to help them kind of get a boost here. Um, <clears throat> and that doesn't really change. Um, you know, even though they're scrambling to try to make it work, mm-hmm. none of that changes, right? They just need more money. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what happens next. Um, you know, with with Lightyear, we talked about their bankruptcy filing um, and what would happen next. With this Sono story, um, you know, I, I, I just... Uh, it made me start to think. So, so I want it to work, right? We yeah. talked about this last week. I think the idea of a solar car is very cool. I like the idea of like taking out the middleman and putting the energy source right on the vehicle. That's yeah. awesome, right? There's mm-hmm. no utility there. It's just um, you don't have to deal with um, the traditional charging structures as much. Yeah, and it's the solar charging is the body. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's very cool. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. Right now in automotive, there's so much going on. There's a ton of competition ar- around alternative energy sources for vehicles. Obviously, EVs are kind of th- the big thing going forward. And it just made me think when something like this appears as a bit of a novelty, when you consider that you can already power an EV with solar power if you want to. Mm-hmm. Like I could do that right now. Yeah. Um, I think there's again back to this hurdle of r&d and production in order to start selling these there's got to be also a lot of money put towards marketing that message as to why you need to have the solar panels on the car right why you can't just have them on your house and plug in your your ev and charge that way yeah um and and obviously they have a story to tell about that right Mm -hmm. but i don't think anyone knows it so um in order to get past the like the nicheness of this product and make it more uh, universal appeal to other people, they need to understand why mm-hmm. a solar car is necessary. Yeah, And I don't think that that message is really out there yet either. So add to that, <laughs> you have this stack of challenges, add that to it yeah. and how much marketing dollars that's gonna take also. Yeah. And it really does make it look difficult for like how this is gonna work at this stage, you know? No, I think when they hit I think when they uh, first launched the campaign, there was a lot of a lot of interest. Um, you know, I had mentioned there at what uh, 52.4 million dollars uh, raised already, but that was raised kind of right out of the gate. Like you have, you saw how niche it was because everybody that was interested kind of jumped in right away. But even in the last four days, the needle really hasn't moved. So maybe interest has topped out and maybe while it was looking really good at the beginning of the campaign, when it tries to, when you try to close, I mean, they're not even half of the way towards their goal Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't look like it's moving there. But I will say, if you're going to take a chance, the price point is something where, you know, maybe I could take a chance for that, you know, uh, for Mm 29.9, it's it's something where uh, if I saw the technology proven out a little bit more, I'd be willing to take a chance. However, we can't because sales were scheduled to begin in Europe later this year. 
And the car is not going to be seen on U.S. roads anytime soon. It won't even be available. Available. You can't even buy it yeah. if you're based in the U.S. It actually says on their website, like, you need to find uh, a broker overseas to buy it for you and then figure out how it's going to get to you. Um, I think. I mean, I understand that there's regulatory restrictions there, um, but I think that there would be major interest in the U.S. that might help them get over the hump. Um, it kind of feels like um, for people that haven't, uh, switched over to an EV yet. Um, mm -hmm. One of the biggest considerations is like logistics. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like how much <clears throat> am I going to have to change in my daily routine in order to drive an EV? And that, a lot of that depends on where you live or, you know, or what type of EV it is. But this feels like just kind of skipping that step and yeah. going directly into something totally new. Mm -hmm. And I mean, a solar EV that just seems like it could pose some logistical challenges. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about like January here. Where yeah. we saw the sun maybe for four total hours. Not a yeah. lot. Not a lot. No, it was, uh, <laughs> I was excited to be in Anaheim and see the sun again, <laughs> you know, be reunited. Um, so the company hasn't stopped testing. We yesterday posted some of the test footage from some of these recent ca crash tests. And I was really encouraged by some of it. In particular, the solar panels behaved as predicted because solar panels are, can be very delicate. And, uh, but you know, so when you slam them into a concrete structure at what was it going like 70 miles an hour, I think so. Yeah. Um, there was no splintering, uh, of the panels. So no additional risks to passengers or other people on the road. That was something I found encouraging from a safety perspective. And it all comes down to the company's proprietary polymer based vehicle integrated solar technology, which covers the entire vehicle's body. Mm -hmm. It's just really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so pre-sales production is still planned for the summer, but I guess we'll see and maybe don't hold our breath. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Our next most popular story this week. SpaceX launched a Tesla into space five years ago. It has been five years since SpaceX sent Elon Musk's red Tesla Roadster into space aboard its Falcon Heavy rocket. At the time, the Falcon Heavy was packed was packing three boosters and 27 engines, making it one of the most powerful rockets to ever launch. The rocket was capable of delivering 37,000 pounds of cargo to Mars, but for its first flight, it carried a relatively light and sporty electric vehicle. But many people want to know, where is that Roadster now? Whereisroadster.com has been tracking the approximate trajectory of the vehicle and puts the Roadster at about 203 million miles from Earth and heading in an orbit back toward Earth at a speed of what 6,816 miles per hour. The Roadster has traveled about 2.5 billion miles through space, mostly in a peaceful vacuum. In 2020, the car did get within 5 million miles of Mars. So, pretty <laughs> close. Yeah. <laughs> the Roadster, which hopes... Oh, which hopefully still has Starman behind the wheel, has racked up many other interesting milestones. And we got to understand that Starman is, I believe, SpaceX's, a SpaceX mascot that is uh, driving this thing through space. The car has exceeded its 36,000-mile warranty more than 70,000 times. The website also estimates that if the Roadster's battery was still working, Starman would have listened to Space Oddity and Life on Mars by David Bowie more than 1.16 million times combined. The songs were playing in Starman's headphones, and I don't care how big of a Bowie fan you are, that's a lot of Bowie. <laughs> 
At the time, Musk tweeted, red car for a red planet. Ben, it was just a simpler time back then. Yeah, it was. A simpler Musk. Yeah, I I should start by just saying I think it's really cool to shoot a car into space. It's just neat. Yeah. That's fun. If you want to do a good marketing gimmick, shoot something into space and I'm all over it. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. It was great then and it's still great. Uh, And, you know, Elon Musk has become sort of a polarizing figure. So it's nice to think back to this type of fun and harmless attention-grabbing stuff that he used to do. Yeah. Um, And, you know, maybe if he has some sentimental attachment to the Roadster, that adds a layer to it. Maybe he thinks thinks about it wistfully. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, Pictures of drifting through space. At those high-stress times at Twitter, he's like, you know, I wonder where my car is right now. That's how he falls asleep, his one hour of sleep per night. Yeah. I was just thinking of that Roadster. But I I think uh, pretty shortly after it happened, there was already talk about, like, this may not last very long out there. Mm -hmm. It's a small convertible i think right yeah in space so maybe it's not built for this sort type of environment um so there may not be a whole lot left of the roadster at this point i think it was uh the drive last year they spoke with uh anthony was he's the uh, chair of uh, aerospace engineering program at the university of michigan okay and he said there's a lot of effects to take into uh uh, account like uh, temperature uh fluctuating gravity radiation and pressure and they've likely all you know, had a significant effect on the car. Yeah. Um, and the major changes in temperature, I think, uh, are what make the car parts expand and contract a lot, much more than they would right. you know, on Earth. Mm-hmm. And so it's likely that a lot of pieces have, have come loose. Plus that kind of, that wide range in temperature is probably not doing any favors to the paint job. Yeah. So there's a good chance the Roadster isn't even red anymore, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which is sort of a bummer because it was red car for a red planet. Yeah. And who knows? So if the car and the paint are gone, what are the chances Starman still doing well? I think he's doing all right. I mean, as far <laughs> as I understand, he's just wearing a spacesuit, right? Which is designed for that sort of thing. Okay. He's not going to last forever, but who knows? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. It's just uh, when it comes <clears throat> back, it's just going to be Starman strapped into a seat. <laughs> just everything else is gone. Uh, and definitely the headphones are gone. Yeah. Um, Anna, what were, uh, you know, we'd talked about this a couple of times before because it's a really interesting campaign to uh get people interested in space um is this just you know a waste of time or you know is there a little bit of uh just innocent fun with something like this i don't know i'm gonna take the wet blanket counterpoint on this and just say that i don't think it's that fun i think it's sort of (laughs) like are you going waste of resources wet blanket uh a couple ways i'll take i'll take you down uh the whole path is going to be super it's wet a big, just big a blanket, huge blanket wet. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know to me it just felt like you know these one of those projects where it's under the guise of research but it's really just ego um i mean that wouldn't surprise anyone right coming from elon musk but why is this a scientific necessity in any way at this time i don't know i just I just, I also feel personally that we're a little bit remiss about what we launch into space just casually, not mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing like yeah. what the consequences of that are. I mean, it's like a uniquely human thing to, and maybe American specifically to just say like, 
oh, probably probably not going to be a problem or, you know, what what are the chances that X, Y, or Z happens? But like we are dealing with the consequences of that in so many ways right now. Are you talking about the ever-growing orbit of space trash circling Earth right I, now? I am. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like the great Pacific garbage patch of the sky. Like yeah. there's just so much trash in space now. People, uh, every country is doing it, right? Just leaving their junk wherever. But like, you know, I, it, it there have been some near misses uh you know we send these scientists into space um we ask them to risk their lives in the name of research and then sometimes they're in kind of dangerous scenarios because of the stuff that is floating around yeah so to me that was like i don't know i just don't see like the the need i guess to justify this experiment it didn't i didn't see the justification of it really i know that the, they s- presented as this sort of vague like how would this battery function in space or how would these metals function in space but um we don't really know mm-hmm. uh, you know i don't think that we maybe it's interesting to know how long that battery lasts but we don't know if it's still working um we will one day to me it felt like elon musk's tesla marketing like at his best yeah um uh, it was great marketing i can was. see that but yeah. the rocket was going up either way yeah. right right yes and he just put it on yeah okay. yeah but like he didn't have to put a car on it okay yeah i mean uh, like to me it's like he could buy a commercial during the super bowl or he could launch a car into space and claim five later five years later that the battery still works we have no way of knowing <laughs> i don't know it just like to me it, it it's unnecessary um but i i usually take this position on this kind of stuff that like it's there's so many problems on earth to solve right and i know that that's not an apples to apples way of looking at it necessarily so maybe that's not fair i will acknowledge that yeah but um i don't know can oh. we solve some other problems well, first and 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 you know starman right the beloved mascot um he he was listening to david bowie two david bowie songs simultaneously yeah. mm-hmm. um one in each side of his headphones yeah and i just wonder why <laughs> why not He's, just pick one? Yeah. Now, like, yeah. why are we doing this to Starman? Because, like, the two, the two, like, biggest people on the project each had one that they wanted, and they just couldn't come to a compromise, and this was it. That's you know? sick. Or why Why does he have to wear <laughs> headphones? Like, there's no one else in the car. Yeah. There's no one else in space. I think you we could, should. I mean, yeah, it could be, why can't he just crank it up? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I think that we should also, if you look at it in a different perspective, this was five years ago. Uh, everything was going great economically. Uh, space travel towards Mars was more aggressive than it's been in a very long time. And, you know, everything has kind of hit a huge roadblock with the global pandemic because I think, and, and a, a lot of the reason you have that perspective of, you know, we got a lot of problems here on Earth. I mean, maybe we weren't always, maybe that wasn't the first thing in our mind when five years ago when this was going on. Like, cause it seemed like we were solving a lot, a lot of problems and we were looking for uh, the next place that we were going to not necessarily colonize, but maybe get rarer or get rare materials from. Um, I don't know. I was, and I'm still, um, I'm, I'm still very interested in our effort to go to and try to not only visit, but colonize Mars. Um, but I understand why that's taken a backseat. Yeah, and I just, I've always looked at it this way, I guess. But, um, you know, I I support some light space exploration and all that stuff. But to light talk... space exploration? <laughs> well, to, no, I mean, like, to, to spend a ton of 
uh, resources and brain power on talk of colonizing Mars because we have a dying planet that we could actually fix, mm-hmm. but we're not. <laughs> we're <laughs> sending people on. to Mars. I, like that, that I just do not agree with. I think that okay. there's enough that we got to do here to fix what the problems that we've caused here versus being like, let's come up with a plan B. What's really going to be a pain is when we finally figure out how to make Martian colonization happen, but we're unable to navigate our space trash to get there. Right. It just <laughs> just like we can't leave our dead planet because of all of our garbage in the sky. Yep, yeah. And then you're going to see that car. We Yeah. We just get T-boned by the roadster <laughs> on the way out. <laughs> Did anyone else hear Bowie? Yeah. Boom. Mission ruined. Um, a couple of, of other interesting facts real quick from uh, what was that? Where's the roadster dot com? Uh, the car gets about two miles closer to Earth every second. Uh, the vehicle has traveled far enough to drive around the world's roads six, 63.2 times. That is every road in the world. And it wasn't interesting enough for me to seek it out, but they even made a comic book series, The Adventures of Starman. But in this comic book series, is he just in the car <laughs> like in in uh you know issue two he listens to life on mars mm-hmm. and then issue three all space Odyssey. yeah you need to have a villain in a comic book what do you like so he who does he encounter it's just a real exercise in patience He's just <laughs> yeah starman's actually a real human who had a falling out at spacex and we'll figure it out <laughs> we'll figure it out when he comes back <laughs> Ah, hoping he's just a crash crash test dummy. All right. Well, our next most popular story. Ford, fourth quarter profit drops 90%. Last week, Ford Motor said its fourth quarter net income fell 90% from the previous year. Now, officials at the automaker say costs are too high and have promised more belt tightening this year. The company is transforming its product development, manufacturing, and supply chain management to reduce costs. At the same time, it's shifting to electric vehicles. CEO Jim Farley says the company left $2 billion in profits on the table that were within its control. The global shortage of computer chips and other parts hit Ford hard at the end of last year, costing it production of roughly 100,000 vehicles that could have been sold. CFO John Lawler said the company's cost structure isn't competitive and quality is lacking. Now, more white-collar layoffs are coming, and the company needs to cut manufacturing and warranty costs. Lawler says about $1 billion of the $2 billion in lost profits were due to lower production and lost sales. The other $1 billion was in operational costs. He attributed about 60% of the production problem to the chip shortage, with the rest coming from parts suppliers who had trouble ramping up factories. He said, it's something that we need to do a better job managing through and saying that it is a hand-to-hand combat problem securing chips. That's, That's a grim outlook. To fix the problem, Ford's going to work with chip suppliers and brokers, as well as redesign car computers to use different chips that are more abundant. Ford expects to see a mild recession in the U.S. this year and a moderate one in Europe. But on the bright side, for consumers anyways, the company sees vehicle prices falling about 5% this year. Anna, it's a really interesting picture to paint with hand-to-hand combat securing chips. Does this happen 
you know, at the doorstep of the chip maker, or is this some of arena that they have inside? <laughs> yeah, there's some. They invite spectators, and it's yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you wanna you wanna place an order? Get in the cage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, the entire earnings report and subsequent coverage thereof has been a lot of drama. I think from um, Ford's executive team. Uh, you quoted uh, Lawler, but um, Jim Farley, the CEO, has been losing it. <laughs> <laughs> like for like a week um one uh, auto news outlet harshly described it as a tantrum um but i thought that was like maybe a little bit accurate after this earnings uh showed the profit challenges and they pointed out and i agree that he seems to be far too angry and victimized for being the ceo and maybe perhaps having some control over this like when he said we lost all these profits for issues that were within our control like you're okay. the guy yeah. behind the controls, man. <laughs> right. Like, what are you doing then? Yeah. Um, to quote Farley, uh, he said, to say I'm frustrated is an understatement because the year could have been so much more for us at Ford. We have deeply entrenched issues in our industrial system that have proven tough to root out. Candidly, the strength of our products and revenue has masked this dysfunctionality for a long time, unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that Farley mentioned this week, and um, you alluded to this as well, is layoffs. Um, he said that Ford is operating with what he says is an engineering staff that's 25% larger than any of its key competitors. Mm-hmm. He says that that's he can't. That's a big number. Yeah, right. Yeah. And he said that you know they can't continue to operate at this type of disadvantage. Um, he didn't say specifically that that's where the layoffs would be, but clearly some foreshadowing, I think, in play there. Um I guess I'm a little concerned about the timing of any type of engineering cut if that's what takes place when the company is in the process of this major upheaval in terms of technological platforms. Um, And so you hope that if this is the outcome, that it doesn't create some gaps in performance, safety, efficiency Mm -hmm. as Ford tries to continue to enhance its EV lines, batteries, other equipment. Um, And keep in mind, and we talked about this last week, but they just came off an announcement um, where they had matched Tesla in cutting price on their new EVs. Did you see how Tesla just did them so dirty? Tesla cut back on prices. Ford matches with the Mustang, and then this week Tesla's like, "Yeah, never mind." But uh, never, uh, sorry, like uh, yeah. undid all of those price cuts. Well, and Ford is of course free to do that as well. But um, next week's news today. <laughs> I just, you know, they want to be viewed as a peer to Tesla, right? That's mm-hmm. clear. They want to be a huge EV player. They put all their eggs in this basket. This is what they're going to do. Um, <clears throat> they've also just partnered with Red Bull Racing um, mm-hmm. to get back into Formula One. They said they're going to create a brand new hybrid powertrain for that. They're going to use the developments that they uh, generate out of this partnership to help drive development in consumer vehicles as well. They have a lot going on right now that requires a lot of engineering. And Mm -hmm. so I guess I am concerned that they could compromise um, those ambitions if they do truly proceed with, um, I don't know, Farley in this blind rage (laughs) cutting engineers, which I don't know (laughs) is going to happen, but that's what it feels like he's alluding to. And um, that's a little bit concerning for me. Is he going and is he going for, you know, is he trying to get sympathy from people like, hey, we're trying, you know, it just seems like normally... Uh, a leader would still show his position of strength 
rather than just being like, ah, shucks, everything went bad for us. I, I thought it was a confusing <laughs> play also. And um, Jim Farley's worked at Ford for a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. he took over the CEO role like within the last two years, but um, but he's not new to the company. So to say that, or to make it sound like, uh, you know, he's... F- just finding out that there's yeah. this dysfunction and what what can be done about it. Well, you are the CEO, so figure something yeah. out. Just we lost two billion. You know they can't all be winners. To the next quarter, call over. Call over. Ben, it has to be difficult for Ford because the company is really transitioning towards EV production and development, and it's not simply you know it's not simple to just completely change strategy in keep everything working in order. Right. I mean, they're fairly early in the transition. Mm-hmm. They've already had some success, seemingly, um, with the uh, Ford F-150 Lightning right. and the uh, the Mach-E. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are two models that are, um, they seem fairly well known or, or you know, they're notable in a, in a landscape where it's hard to kind of, you know, off the top of your head, yeah. rattle off a bunch of For sure. EV models. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have, you know, existing sales going out two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's um, apparently Farley, they're already deep in the development of their second generation of EVs is what he said during the uh, company's earnings call. Um, and he's he's already talking about the next uh, electric full-size pickup, mm-hmm. he, uh, which he said, by the way, is awesome. See, there oh, you go. Awesome. Yeah, that's okay. that general CEO, you know, uh, yeah. chutzpah that I want. Yeah, you know? Awesome, awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that, that that hints that maybe he's seen it because how <laughs> could he say it was awesome if he hasn't? But, <laughs> but, the, but besides that, he was just kind of offering up some vague updates about what to expect. He's uh, talking about uh, making the next round of EVs fully software upgradable and that that means a brand new electric architecture and that it's going to be radically simplified. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said like imagine three body styles uh, each with volume uh, potential of up to 1 million units and just a handful of orderable that's a, that's a tough word I'm sorry yeah. orderable <laughs> <laughs> orderable combinations uh, so they're talking about simplifying the process mm-hmm. and that should help uh, ramp up production uh, one would think yeah well and that's uh, we've heard that from a lot of automakers where you're going to have uh, less vehicle uh, make and model options maybe more model or options inside the vehicle i'm also interested to see how many of those will be subscription models you know hey uh like uh what was the car maker that wanted us to subscribe to like electric windows Mm -hmm. yeah mercedes Um, vw i think there's a few of them um so of this two billion dollar net loss in 2022 i think if you looked a little bit more about what happened um you know an investment in rivian dropped $7.4 $7.4 billion because the stock dropped out of it. Um, the company also had a $2.7 billion drop in its stake uh, with the autonomous vehicle unit Argo AI, which was disbanded last year. So if you just point to those, right. there are very simple reasons why there were like huge losses. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah, Argo AI, we're trying to get the autonomous car. This just isn't working out. We got to take a different direction. And then, I mean, that looks more like a an R&D sort of loss. Mm-hmm. Um, Ford sales in the U.S., which is its most profitable market, dropped 5% during the fourth quarter um, because of the part shortages that hit every other automaker. Um, 
But the as we've talked a lot about on the podcast, prices for vehicles have been insane. It's like one of those conversations you know you're going to have with friends at a at a party, just like or at dinner. So uh, you know how are things? Well, still have the car that I've had for 15 years, but waiting for things to cool. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you know, like some of our colleagues, maybe we just might not see them again until it starts to cool. Um, so the customers paid an average of $56,143 for company vehicles in Q4 last year, which is 10% more than they paid last year. That's according to Edmunds.com. Uh, many of those sales were high-end trucks and SUVs. So uh, I think that maybe Farley changes tone a little bit going forward, and maybe this could be the bottom. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll uh, see what happens in Q1. Uh, any expectations there? Any predictions? Uh, sad or Farley? I never would. No, I just, I'll, I'll wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, like reading some of the quotes from the presentation, though, I'm definitely going to try to be on that next call. Just, I mean, because either it's going to be elation or even worse, just like the drama. The drama. Yeah, hopefully the uh, comparisons with the first quarter are a little more forgiving yeah. than with the previous year's fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 90% drop is that's bad that is that's that's one of those stories where you read the headline and before you publish it you just make really sure (laughs) that it's 90 and not nine yeah you know all right well our next most popular story 50 car train derailment causes big fire and evacuations last friday some 50 cars derailed in a fiery crash in ohio near the pennsylvania state line Rail operator Norfolk Norfolk Southern said there were no injuries to the crew, residents, or first responders. However, officials worked feverishly to prevent any major explosions from the smoldering wreckage. The Ohio National Guard was called in to help evacuate the nearby village of East Palestine. And it started out as a recommendation, but then anyone within a one-mile radius of the site had to get out of town. Officials said a potential explosion could have launched dead, deadly shrapnel as far as a mile, and there was a risk of, quote, the potential of a catastrophic tanker failure after a, quote, drastic temperature change was observed in that rail car. The train was carrying a variety of products from Madison, Illinois to Conway, Pennsylvania. The cause of the crash was a mechanical issue with a rail car axle and the three-member train crew received an alert about the mechanical defect shortly before the derailment. An investigative report is expected in a month or so. 20 of the more than 100 cars on the train were classified as carrying hazardous materials, but only 10 of those 20 derailed. Five of the cars were carrying vinyl chloride, which is used to make polyvinyl chloride hard plastic resin in a variety of plastic products. It's associated with a number of cancers. Anna, I don't know what it takes to get people out of town sometimes, but catastrophic tanker failure would do it for me. Uh, Shrapnel launching a mile would do it for me. Um, Also, is there anything that can be done to prevent similar things going forward. I mean, I know that we're putting more electronics, more safety features into these rail cars, but even though this one had some on the, uh, this particular train had some on board, you know, they didn't have enough time to respond. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, to say that they received an alert shortly before the derailment, I think if they had time or ability to stop that from happening, they would have, right? So Does that mean they got a, they received a text message like right before? You know, hey, let me check. I got something on my phone. It's from my boss. Hey, guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think to me it shows that even alongside the advancements in technology that are being applied to these types of systems, um, it's it's been pretty well publicized that the rail industry is um, actively trying to cut personnel on those trains themselves. So right. this is, um, I think, like rarely do we see in such stark relief the results of what could be a, a lack of workers here. It, um, I don't know if that's relevant in this specific case or not, but I think it raises a lot of interesting questions. Um, you know, it's not... It, in the case of rail where these companies are dealing with uh trying to fill roles and they're in a pinch because they can't get enough workers like a lot of companies are dealing with they're like actively trying to trim down the teams with the argument that these trains are so advanced um that they can operate without extra people to supervise and that's something that rail workers and unions have really been vocally opposing Um, according to a report following this incident, the AP said that rail unions believe the industry has gotten riskier in recent years after widespread job cuts have left workers spread thin. Um, so I looked into that a little bit. Uh, between 2017 and 2021, more than 22% of the jobs at Union Pacific, CSX, and Norfolk Southern were eliminated. <laughs> Based on an operational methodology they're they're using called precision scheduled railroading, which is basically a methodology that uh, focuses on uh, maintaining regular schedules and also cutting costs. Um, Opponents are arguing both tenants make it less safe because the regular schedules make it harder for thorough maintenance to take place um, because the trains don't sit as long. Mm Mm-hmm. And the co- the cost cuts um, of of people are eliminating checks and balances, and they're running so lean that they can't adequately react to variability. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, to me, that seems like could apply in this case. Um, well, whether yeah. whether or not that's what we're seeing here, I don't know. But um, you know, opponents to this uh, precision scheduled railroading railroading. Um, they point to an increase in accidents and derailments in recent years and say that that is why. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on your perspective, this is either isolated or perhaps an indicator of a larger problem to do with overambitious co- cost reductions at the expense of safety. Um, we've seen it before. So, Well, <clears throat> because this was an axle problem, one thing that really stuck out to me was that because of the cuts – they said what on average they can inspect the cars. They used to be able to inspect the cars for two minutes mm-hmm. per, per car, and that's been cut to forty five seconds. Yeah, and that I mean to cut it in more than half. I mean I don't I don't know I don't know the how in depth these inspections are, but to cut them by more than half and have something that is probably maybe not very visible, but I mean I'm assuming you're looking at the axles of everyone. We we would hope right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> where were you going to start? Start at the wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. That was something that really stood out to me. Um, ben, when you were looking at this story, uh, what were your thoughts when it came to some of the cutbacks that we've seen both in labor and when it comes to potential sa- uh, safety? Well, yeah, it just seems like this is something that you would want to invest in. Um, even with the uh, cost cutting, it still seems like one of the safest ways yeah. to transport you know, hazardous materials yep. and lots of other stuff, right? Um, 
and and to see these cuts and to see you know the the uptick in in accidents derailments right mm -hmm. and and to know that you know a lot of these railways are are almost always passing through um you know populated areas yeah some highly yeah. populated areas mm -hmm. so i mean one accident in the wrong place could be catastrophic right right so i just don't understand the cuts i don't mm -hmm. see um where the i don't know where the logic meets on this mm -hmm. one well and it could be just <coughs> scale because according to the ap the railroads are still investing about 24 billion dollars a year in maintaining and improving the tracks to help prevent these problems but still i mean i know that while that seems like a pretty substantial number there's a lot of track in the United States to take care of. And while these the railroad industry is still regarded as the safest option, you know, maybe work on keeping that way mm. rather than being like, no, we got quite a lead. We can, we can cut into that a little bit. Well, yeah. And don't you think that people might be concerned if they really knew a little bit more about how the rail industry is just kind of quietly trying to cut? Like there was a, they were proposing cutting, um, down to one person yeah yeah and because everything was so automated and the rail workers were really up in arms because they were like we would be terrified to be in that train just completely by ourselves and no one else to and i don't think people who live in these areas these populated mm -hmm. areas as ben mentioned um knowing that hazardous chemicals are, are being transported through there um would feel really uh safe knowing that there's one person has a seizure and no one's yeah. on the train anymore. I don't know. I mean, I know that they, again, there's a lot of automated features that help those um, trains operate, but I think yeah, it obviously didn't work. Having some yeah. checks there would be great. Yeah. 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 And highly publicized stories like this and the images that were shared everywhere in the video I and mean, yeah. the huge fire, the, the gigantic uh, smoke cloud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the talk of, you know, shrapnel flying and yeah. poison gas and stuff like that. I mean, I, I grew up, uh, my high school was like a block from the train tracks. It was right next to the football field. Mm -hmm. um, we tolerate the noise. Yeah. And, it, but beyond that, I don't think anybody ever thought like, yeah, there's a really good chance we'll be hit by flying metal pieces yeah. or, uh, you know, poisoned. Yeah. Well, see, I think that's, I think that's part of it is that uh, railroads are everywhere. So, I mean, uh, where I live now, the train doesn't go until late at night. But if you're listening, you can hear it go through. We're close enough. Um, but it, this had, this particular accident, they were interviewing residents and they were talking about thinking about selling their houses to try and get away from rail. But it is everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, and I think because it's such a legacy form of transportation and supply chain that people think it's inherently safer than maybe it is. Um, but where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go that there's no rail? Um, the evacuation covered nearly half of the town's 4,900 residents, um, but most of those people were able to leave the emergency shelters by Sunday, so three days later. Um, as we said, it is one of the safest options for transporting goods, and uh, federal data shows accidents involving hazardous materials are exceedingly rare. Um, well, Anna, as to your point, you said that the rail unions believe the industry has gotten riskier. Um, they think that uh, not just the widespread um, cuts, but also what I was talking about, uh, cuts in time, it's just been sort of snowballing. It's been going in the wrong direction for a long time. Um, 
the other one was that it wasn't just that uh, the vinyl I was talking about, but the cars involved in the crash also carried butyl acrylate and residue benzene, as well as wheat, plastic pellets, and malt liquors. You know, so maybe a positive. And uh, <laughs> lube oil. So it just a terrible mess as well. And it, uh, Ben, to your point, the pictures in the video were harrowing. It's kind of incredible that no one was injured in this entire situation, right? Yeah, I mean, burning like a train car is full of toxic can cancer causing chemicals, though, like, we don't really know what the impact of that is. You know, yeah. I, I feel like it's easy for us to be like, it's gone now. But <laughs> yeah, we can't see the clouds. <laughs> yeah, I can't see it. <laughs> yeah, it went to space. It went to space. To, yep, yeah, it's he's not going to do great. But <laughs> everything is going to be fine. Um, well, there's an update from Jeff, who is listening to us live. Jeff, it's unfortunate to say, is in some pretty rough conditions right now. Um, it looks like he's stranded somewhere in the Arctic near <laughs> near uh, some sort of body of water that has been penetrated with all these holes. So they must not be structurally sound, uh -huh. uh, protected from the elements only by what can be, you know, a rickety tent. And it looks like the only thing that he has to survive is some sort of malt beverage of his own. So <laughs> hopefully Jeff's going to make it. Good luck, good right. luck out there, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Should we continue if Jeff's in danger? Yeah, I mean, I think ben so. It's, it's what he would ben, want. It's ben can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> it's what he would want. Right. Can we please, can we please move let's on? You know what? We should probably just Jeff. wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> let's go search for Jeff. Yeah, let's call it a day. Oh, well, Jeff, hope, uh, hope actually you get some food out of there as well. Um, our most popular story this week, a concept super yacht could, quote, fly at unprecedented speeds. Lazzarini Design Studio is awesome. The Italian firm that gave us the electric super limo, a UFO-shaped houseboat, and a flying city in the shape of a turtle has unveiled the Plectrum, a 240-foot super yacht. The designers were inspired by the vessels from the famed America's Cup sailing race with designs that date back to the mid-1960s. The Plectrum would more than triple the size of those ultra-fast sailboats. The renderings show a sleek orange vessel with a helipad and a room to smow, stow a smaller boat as well as room for a vehicle. It has the basic amenities. The vessel made of carbon fiber composite materials features a foil system that could expand from resting width of 50 feet to more than 65 feet and effectively lift the main structure out of the water at high speeds. Three hydrogen-powered engines can together reach a top speed of 75 knots or 86 miles per hour, which is much faster than any yacht of similar size. Anna, I know that there's been a lot of super yacht talk lately, but let's focus for a minute on Lazzarini Design Studio and some of the very inventive and creative work that comes out of that studio, which continues to turn heads and, you know, push the envelope forward a little bit. If for only, you know, gross ways to spend incredible amounts of money. Uh, you don't get to tell me what to focus on. 
<laughs> I will focus on <laughs> something let's, entirely let's different. Focus on the industrial design <laughs> and not the sick wealth accumulation it would take to afford such a thing. Uh. Did you know that plectrum is like a fancy word for what a guitar pick is? I did, yeah. Oh, oh, did. That was my closer. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And it's not, it's an implement for plucking string. Yeah. And when I looked it up, I'm like, so is a guitar pick? Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. like, I, the name, it doesn't even sound cool, but. Plectrum? It sound, yeah, plectrum. it sounds like a surgical instrument. I just, it's not <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah, step aboard the plectrum. <laughs> <laughs> Anna's the one invited aboard a super yacht. And then when, you know, Johnny Billionaire yeah. says, like, step aboard Plectrum, you just are laughing so hard you yeah. can't possibly I just, board. like, turn around. Yeah, and, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> nope. Can I take the helicopter home? Okay, so I, I, I enjoyed this story. It's, like, it's very cool to look at, right? Um, I loved the bright orange. It was just fu- it was fun to see. Um, I was a little surprised when I saw the comments on this post on our website because everyone was pretty much, like, this is cool. And there wasn't even that much blowback on the $87 million price tag. Um, pe- some people were like, well, you know, $87 million kind of makes sense. Seems if you reasonable. look at, yeah, if you look at this caliber of luxury item, the, the reason I was surprised is because many of you might remember uh, that we covered another super yacht quite extensively about a, you know, eight, 10 months ago. Um, it, it was being created in the Netherlands and it was so big that the local leaders were considering temporarily dismantling a historic bridge in order to get it out of the harbor. Mm-hmm. The owner of that boat, you may recall, mm-hmm. is, Jeff, his name again? is, uh, is, uh, Jeff Bezos. Mm. And, um, people had a lot of choice words about that whole fiasco, even local boat protesters. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to characterize them. Yeah. Um, Old Jeffy Amazon. <laughs> uh, they they staged a demonstration, or they were going to, um, where there was about 5,000 people who had signed a, a petition pledging to hurl rotten eggs at the boat when it sailed past um, the bridge on its way out. People were pissed um, about this boat. Mm-hmm. So I guess my conclusion here is that people don't object to super yachts in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. They just hate rich people. Am I wrong about this? Like. Um, like they don't hate the yacht, they just hate the owner. Yeah, yes. yeah, no, it's. But I mean, I think that was also very unique to. We need to dismantle your legacy infrastructure to get this um, giant, uh, uh, you know, symbol of super wealth to a large body of water. I think that's part of it, and maybe Lazarini learned from those <clears throat> mistakes, and that's why it can expand. You know, it can get skinny for those uh, pesky. <laughs> maybe maybe it's, maybe it's a more likable super yacht i don't know yeah um and it's a lot less expensive uh bezos was like 500 million dollars so well, i like i get how that's like bananas but it, let's be real none of this is necessary mm. so i don't know i just i i guess i think like even an 87 million dollar yacht is cool and abstraction and then until like elon musk buys it or leonardo DiCaprio does and then everyone's like Screw you, buddy. No, I think, um. I think that's the biggest point is that these are cool renderings that mm-hmm. would cost $85 million. When you see the realization of that in your local waterway, you start to think a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, in our local lakes, like people rage against like wake boats. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I can't imagine seeing this and being like, you do you like from my <laughs> from my like kayak. I don't know. I just I don't I don't think people in real life are like 
yeah great uh, i don't know mm-hmm. our lakes are simpler you know you get a two-story booze cruise out there everyone's fine yeah it gets any bigger and people are going to start asking questions exactly <laughs> um ben we've been covering lazzarini before um and while i would like to argue the idea of living on a ufo shaped houseboat or living in a floating city in the shape of a turtle let's get back to some of the incredible design work behind the super yacht or again you can just go after oligarchs um <laughs> what did you think when you saw the super yacht particularly the technology when it comes to lifting it out of the water yeah the the hydrofoil, the hydrofoil right yeah. yeah and that's interesting um but i like to think of um, super yachting, I like to imagine it as a leisurely pastime. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a pontoon boat, uh, but for the mega rich, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so is there a need to go 86 miles per hour? Um, and it, you know, if you're going to make this investment, don't you just want to cruise and show it off? Do you need to get out of there that fast? I mean, I think how fast did the DeLorean Heist. need to go? Yeah to travel through time it wouldn't make it i don't think so it was 88 right right but it's getting close this one can't go through time yeah and i mean i think it's nice because it is a good pairing of your pontoon boat and maybe a cigarette boat you know, you're getting two and one. So really, they're saving money. But it, to that Ben's is point, a whole lot of yeah. boat to be controlling at 86 miles oh. per hour. Though, too. Yeah. yeah, what like, if you, you're like, just like hitting thing. the marina at 90 and yeah. <laughs> So if a super yacht is the super wealthy's pontoon boat, does it still play Jimmy Buffett? Yes. Yeah. Every boat does. Yeah. I don't think you have a choice. It comes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the one detail they left out of here is that, you know, um, Jimmy Buffett's entire library comes stocked. Yeah, he plays a show. On, oh, yeah, he's on, on it. He's, he's on it, about yeah. His album. Like Once it. a month, whether you want it or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ben, to your point, though, if like you're in a rush, you have a helipad, you just hop in that helicopter and get to your 530 reservation or whatever you got to be at. Mm-hmm. Um, 530. <laughs> <laughs> so it's clearly an early dinner. You've got to get the early bird special. Yeah. Uh, have moved on to this super yacht. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's... It's fast, but I guess it's not like completely uh, unheard of for a yacht to go that fast. I was looking it up, and uh, was it uh, Oxa Zen Yachting? Uh, they had a list of the fastest yachts in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, the world is not enough, which is a 42-meter super yacht, and Phoners, which is a weirder name. <laughs> Uh, but it's a that's a 41 meter boat uh, which has uh, three Rolls Royce uh, 6700 uh, horsepower gas turbines in it those can both hit 70 knots but they're not nearly as large as mm-hmm. as this boat okay um, I think that it would be interesting to see what this was renamed um, by the owner because you know you see a, a super yacht out there called the world is not enough and you kind of you kind of understand the mentality it takes to acquire such wealth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can picture the movie. I'm like, this makes sense. But phoners, I was like, phoners. <laughs> What's with phoners? It's uh, the person who started Nokia or something. <laughs> Just like you want to come aboard my phone yeah. or my phone, my yacht phoners. <laughs> uh, the best. I probably shared it before on this podcast, but uh, my favorite boat name of all time was my godfather's. Uh, he after becoming newly single, bought a, a huge boat and just named it No More Nagin. 
And you know what? <laughs> We're on like no more nagging three. And I love it every time. It's like a new boat, just a different number. I'm like, stick with the Still classics. no, still no nagging. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I uh, okay. So looking at it strictly from a design perspective, it's interesting how they pulled out all the stops. The one thing that seems always seems excessive to me on a watercraft is when it has a pool on board. That's the one thing I struggle to get over. Um, but I guess it makes <laughs> sense. You know, you need an infinity pool mm -hmm. aboard your super yacht in the ocean. No sharks in that pool. <laughs> no sharks in that pool. Uh, you know, it does have a very convenient garage, so you don't have to worry about where to store your car when yeah. you're on your yacht. That's nice. Um, when you hit 86 in the super yacht, does all your water in your pool just move back to back? <laughs> I mean, it has to, right? <laughs> um, it's like when people turn their pickup trucks into hot tubs, and you're like, Let's talk logistics here for a <laughs> yeah, second. Yeah, you have a lid for that? Everyone's going to die. <laughs> um, going back to the hydrofoil uh, tech, I really think that's cool how it lifts out of the water. But I mean, I've also seen it, hydrofoil kayaks and surfboards. Those were the things I thought were cool because, you know, it's uh, being somebody who likes to kayak, knowing what it takes to get enough force for those foils to lift it out of the water is pretty incredible. Um, so it's it's just a really interesting technology, really cool technology, how people stopped thinking about how things can float in the water and think how they can fly above the water. Mm -hmm. um, really, really cool tech that didn't necessarily start with a super yacht. The thing that leads to the thing is what you're saying. That is not what I'm saying. I think it is. That is not. That thought can be had alone. Jeff. On the ice. Jeff's watching. <laughs> There you go. Uh, but yeah, these hydrofoils are essentially underwater wings that push it out of the water. Um, but it does have to be going 15 knots so it can lift out of the water, which is a little over 17 miles per hour. Um, my takeaway thought, oh, the other thing was that uh, this mentioned that uh, it's modeled after after vessels from the America's Cup sailing race, mm -hmm. but then mentioned that it the designs date back to the mid-60s. Well, this one was specifically modeled after Prada's 2023 model so we're not really like dipping back into the legacy of boating here <laughs> um, uh, and I had mentioned before I, I can't wait for this thing to get confiscated from an oligarch I think I think that's going to be a big day they'll never catch him though no. nice. it's well, the no, fastest boat in the world <laughs> they never catch him they're always you know they think they're untouchable so it'll just be anchored off of some body of water close to the states and be like, no we're taking this now yeah the plectrum belongs to us now <laughs> what if they buy it and just rename it guitar pick <laughs> just like man i thought you were uncool before and then you named your boat guitar pick i'm out i'm sorry all right well before we move on to in case you missed it the story is that maybe it weren't as popular with our readers online, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. We have another word from our sponsor, Unit 202 Productions. If you aren't creating video content for your business, you're missing out. Why is video so important? Increase conversions, increase email marketing click-through rates, improve SEO, build trust, help explain complex subjects and equipment, and improve social media engagement. How many of you view video content on a daily basis? Isn't it time people start viewing some of yours? Promote your brand with Unit 202. Let's get to work. And we're back with In Case You Missed It. The stories, not so popular, but pretty important. 
Ben, I'd like to start with you this week. What is your In Case You Missed It? Uh, my In Case You Missed It is a story we ran this week called uh, 15 Million People Live Under the Threat of Glacial Floods. And it's based on a study from Nature Communications. Um, and what the headline doesn't necessarily uh, convey is just how serious these floods are. You know, you hear the, the term glacial flood. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like a slow flood, mm-hmm. right? A yeah. slow-moving flood. But what it is actually about is a glacial outburst flood. And that's like, there was one in Peru in 1941, and it may have killed as many as 6,000 people. There was another in British Columbia, and it caused a 330-foot high tsunami. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds like a crazy, scary flood. Like, that's not the type of flood I expect to see From in my neck of the woods. Flood, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if a regular flood can be hugely disruptive to, you know, the supply chain, anything else, Mm -hmm. um, this seems like crazy. Mm -hmm. And while, um, well, the researchers have suggested that climate change hasn't exactly made the floods more frequent, um, but they're saying that as the glaciers shrink, more water is being fed into these glacial lakes and making the potential floods more dangerous. Mm-hmm. So it's it seems like a serious problem. Yeah. So this is a flood from when a lake co- created by a glacier bursts, right? Or is it uh, that's how it happens? Yeah, I believe so. This, these are uh, lakes that are fed by glaciers. Right. And, so and when, then the lake fails, and then that's what causes the flooding. Right. Okay. So it's like what happened up in, was it Lake Delton in Wisconsin? Uh, what was what happened there where the lake failed and just flooded the entire community? And the lake was empty for a long time? Yeah. Um, I don't know if okay. that's the same. I don't know. Uh, I didn't have a chance to read this, so I'm interested to learn more about like a glacial flood outburst because that seems like something you want to make sure you're protected from. Right. And it's not necessarily something that could happen around here. Okay. So maybe it's not top of mind for us. But it it just seems like a uh, this is a natural disaster that wasn't really on my radar mm-hmm. before. But it sounds serious and kind of scary. Yeah. It's always good to add another natural disaster to your already heightened anxiety for the day. Absolutely, yeah. I'm always looking for them. So <laughs> if you got them, send them in, please. Yeah, That's ben at in.com with your new natural disaster. Yep, got it. <laughs> um, Anna, any thoughts about the crippling fear associated with glacial floods and the 15 million people that live under the threat of them? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's like... Uh, I, I saw this article as well, and it's really terrifying. Um, worse so, I think, because the people that are most at risk tend to be living in areas that maybe don't get as much support. Um, you know, you're looking at like rural India and Pakistan and the Himalayas. So um, when people are living in these areas, they don't necessarily have a way to get out of there. And it doesn't sound like you necessarily get very much time. So, um, yeah, pretty scary stuff. Um, I think the the silver lining in, you know, obviously you mentioned anxiety, but this like heightened awareness that people have around climate and weather and natural disasters right now, mm-hmm. 
at a minimum, at least, I think more work is being done to address some of this stuff. People are taking it really seriously. The scientific community is pretty much in a consensus point here saying that this stuff is, you know, a lot of it's being caused by the things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. People are trying to, there. you know, there's been some philanthropy around helping um, fund some of this stuff. So hopefully there's smart people out there that are going to help. Yeah. Is this something that we can get ahead of by either... Uh, structurally improving the dams or possibly diverting water or is it just kind of unless things slow down this is going to continue to happen yeah I think it's one of those where you know unless we stop warming up Mm -hmm. this is just gonna occur it already occurs but yeah it just could magnify the problem occur with greater frequency my goodness Um, all right well Anna, you're in case you missed it this week. All right. So the the article I chose this week was based on a Gallup poll that cites a stat um, that says that just two in 10 U.S. employees have a work best friend. Hmm. Um, We're going from like just different com- sides com- here. Completely yeah. <laughs> right. uh, different topic. Natural disaster to personal disaster. No, no segue, friends. no friends. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, I thought it was very... Uh, timely uh this this study so um just two in ten adult u.s employees say they definitely have a best friend at work according to a quarterly gallup survey done in june of 2022 that percentage has dropped um by several points uh since pre-pandemic and um uh gallup um said that there was no such change for workers 35 and up but those under that age uh range are really seeing a drop in um in friendship in the workplace um jim harder who is a a, the researcher here basically um said that quote we're seeing in the data that younger people in general are feeling more disconnected from their workplaces um gallup says that it's found a strong link between workers with best friends on the job and profitability safety inventory control and of course retention um some of these i think are evident but the part about inventory control (laughs) basically that people maybe steal less when they have a work best friend is like astonishing, (laughs) but kind of makes sense when you think about it. You know, if you care about those around you, if you feel culturally embedded in your workplace, then you're far more likely maybe to not consider that to be a victimless crime. I don't know. (laughs) That's all I can add. But I thought that was an interesting point. I, I attended a presentation recently where a CEO on a panel got super real about hating remote work Mm -hmm. and how he didn't believe that it was good for people um and he wasn't going to support it um Mm -hmm. you know unfortunately i think this kind of stuff these studies like put a finer point on that type of argument i personally don't think that remote work is the problem necessarily i think it needs to be part of the equation but taking into account employees needs and I think that means like there's going to be employees who benefit from remote and those mm-hmm. who benefit from on-site and they need to be a part of the discussion in deciding like who goes where. Yeah. Um, we know based on research that most people, even Gen Z don't want to work full-time remote. Most yeah. people don't. Yeah. <clears throat> so hybrid is a good approach. I think that helps you um, continue to nurture a culture face-to-face, mm-hmm. but I'd say um, secondly, businesses need to remember that just because remote work is now a part of so many workplaces, that doesn't mean that everything you did before to build team and culture can be skipped yeah. <laughs> or that it doesn't need to be modified to fit this new normal that you have. So make it a monthly occurrence to have people 
on site for lunch and a no, team meeting or something yeah, or on site, not those digital Zoom happy hour. Nobody hours. wants My to do a God. Zoom happy hour. No. That's the most awful idea that anyone ever had. It should never have been replicated. How to make sure you don't have a work best friend is force them right. to do a digital happy hour. Right. But you can keep like the the parties and the charitable efforts where you guys go pick up trash. You can get people like I said, at once a month you buy everybody pizza. You come in and everyone gets to connect. Um you sh- can and should still do all that stuff because just some because someone is remote doesn't mean that you can ignore them mm. and then just get salty when they're not engaged. Yeah. Um, it's really preventative effort too on these companies to make sure these people don't quit because if they don't feel like they have a team and mm. they don't feel like they have a buddy, um, it's much easier for them to throw in the towel there. I'd like to ask a Jeff question here. Yeah. Is this a generational problem? Just because... We know that generationally workers now are more interested in having their set hours and only working in that window. They don't want to have relationships with workers outside of that window. So the likelihood that they would have a work bestie um, seems less likely. I I think generally generationally. So they said that the change um, was most apparent in 35 and under. It didn't Mm -hmm. really change for 35 and up. Um, I do think that that age group is is more driving remote work. They're asking for it. Um, they're requiring it uh, in order to consider a job. So I think you are getting more of those folks in that, you know, those of us who are like used to being at the office, a lot of people, I think in in our age range and up, mm-hmm. they they just, they do it. You know, no, like I they're th- used, that's <clears throat> what they're used to and they just do it. Um, yeah, the but younger- they're also used to the sort of intangible benefits of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, I, I do think of the people that work almost 100% remote. And yeah, it's hard for me to think of uh, really close connections that they have with work associates just because it's hard to develop that relationship with Zoom and phone calls. Yeah, true. But I do also think that you could you could run a, a study alongside this that is how many people... Um, quit their jobs because their commute is too long or because they don't have enough time at home with their families. They can't get home in time to see their kids before they have to go to bed. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can't make healthy food at home because they spend too much time at their house. Like that would also show, I think, you know, that there's some challenges to having people in the office as well. So um, I, I think it's a mixed bag, honestly, but I do. My overall point is that, that workplaces need to, if they're going to offer hybrid and they're going to offer remote, remote, which a lot, you know, more than half of companies since the pandemic now are. Yeah. They have to remember that there's more to it than just giving somebody a laptop and then letting them go mm-hmm. because you could have an unintended co- consequence there of somebody who just, um, over time becomes disengaged. You can't just leave them on an island and never, you know, invite them back to, yeah. to have some pizza yeah i can speak to this from experience i spent uh six years uh working from home mm-hmm. um we had an office but our headquarters was in dc so i didn't go there um because i didn't want to <laughs> yeah. that's a I long way to, too far yeah that's a long way to go to go to a holiday party with people with a lot of people you don't know yeah we had a small team uh but i rarely ever saw any of them in person it was all you know over teams which is just like a, you know, a less fun Zoom. Yeah. I'm not sure, uh, but it it is very isolating, um, and it could just be because of my my age range. But I uh, it it was I think it takes a toll on your mental health when you work alone. Um, 
for for an extended period of time and it in and if you're in a somewhat creative field, that also um, can be um, a disadvantage, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Um, without anybody to kind of bounce ideas off of. Yeah. Um, my work best friend was my dog. Yeah. And yeah, he had no input. But he was great. <laughs> no? Yeah. Maybe not the best listener, but, you know, a good companion. Yeah. He was, yeah, he's really cool. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not. Sorry, Moses. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not insulting you wherever you are, uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, it it got to be uh, to the point where it was like I I need to go back to an office just mm-hmm. to make sure I can still talk to people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then then they put you on a podcast panel that you yeah absolutely dive right regret in. ever agreeing to. No, but uh, so other than. Did you have any other opportunities? Did uh, the previous company try it all, or did they kind of embrace the fact that they can find remote workers from across the states or maybe even globally and just try and keep them together as long as they could as a team or do any kind of real team building? Yeah, I think there was uh, some team building, um, but it's hard to kind of rally everybody. And like you said, we were kind of based all across the country. So yeah. some people would be starting the, the day on you know Pacific time and some on Eastern and mm-hmm. you know uh, some of us in between. So yeah. we were all kind of at, at different points. So, you know, the, the idea of like a, a, a digital happy hour yeah. is just, no, yeah. that's off the table. <laughs> it's like... Who's you know? When is it who, happy yeah, hour? Yeah, yeah. Who's four thirty? Are we going to choose? You know, like oh, you go east coast, and then everyone on the Pacific is just like sounds great to me. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a uh, so Anna, are you proposing some sort of not only getting more people into the office, but some sort of speed dating type scenario where everyone has to meet everyone to find that work best friend? I don't know if you were listening to what I said because not even close. <laughs> nothing of that sort in any way okay i'm just i'm just curious and i mean the other name for uh industrial media was going to be 15 best friends so (laughs) i'm just we're lucky that we all work together we are though (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah oh no (laughs) uh my in case you missed it this week is about uh, British Volt EV because I can't leave it alone. Uh, a new lifeline is going to prevent the demise of British Volt's EV factory. Uh, British Volt lives. <laughs> Remember British Volt, the all-in <laughs> gigafactory that was going to produce 30 gigawatt hours worth of batteries and serve as the backbone backbone of UK EVs, but then essentially filed bankruptcy and laid off most of its staff last month. It lives. <laughs> the project was backed by $4.6 billion from private and public sources, but it still struggled to curb spending while attempting to raise more funds. Well, enter Australian company Recharge Industries. Seems like a natural fit. The company is buying British Volt's business and assets and plans to move forward with the ambitious plant. Recharge Industries plans to build lithium-ion batteries that are free of materials sourced from Russia or China in an attempt to reduce supply chain risks. This is according to Car Scoops. I chose this story, and Ben, because as we covered British Volt, it just seemed like there was no greater slam dunk of lights out, never going to happen again as British Volt. And then it, it lives on. I couldn't believe it. It was actually... Um, and we'll see because they were purchased by another startup. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But it was, uh, 
sometimes when we've covered the story, uh, these stories, well, where uh, whether it be Lightyear a couple weeks ago or Sono, and there seem to be these lifelines or how Sono is trying to like string it along just to see if they can find an investor. Sometimes as unlikely as it seems, it can happen. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was sort of funny because um, every week we have a new update. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and I thought that this was completely dead in the water as yeah. did you i think because we even when it was like looking like it was going to go that way we're like okay for sure mm -hmm. this does not work um but i think the most interesting thing i took away from this was about recharge saying that they wanted to build batteries that were free of materials sourced from china mm -hmm. or russia to attempt to reduce supply chain risks i mean that does make a, a fair bit of sense here to think like okay you have this uh sort of greenfield operation in the uk mm -hmm. you know where it's coming from and i know that there's a lot of challenges um in the foreseeable future in terms of uh, getting those batteries uh made and not having to rely on a supply chain that's um you know again conflict laden mm -hmm. um very disrupted uh you know we don't Nobody wants to go through the China factory shutdowns um, via the COVID zero policy again, like, right. you know, that was just so disruptive to everyone. So um, you can kind of see why this is appealing for somebody uh, to take this on. Um, I believe that when the last time we covered this, Ben, I was kind of joking about how sometimes when these companies go under, um, it's a real opportunity to get uh a really big project for pennies on the dollar and i'm really interested to see what they paid for this thing because i don't even think it's pennies on the dollar i think it's like sub fractions of pennies on the dollar when it comes to what they're actually going to get versus what was already been invested in there so you think they swooped in and got a deal i think so well yeah. i think so especially because so but it's also it is a startup so recharge is founded by this guy david collard who launched the company in november 2020 and then Recharge Production, which is a subsidiary, is essentially developing the exact same plant in Australia. So it kind of seemed like a really perfect fit. Mm -hmm. And maybe that doesn't always exist. But yeah, um, I think Recharge saw this and they're just like, yeah, we can make two. Do we know who's further along in their development? Is Recharge or British Volt? I think Recharge is further along in development because it sounded like they already had materials um, to start like building the plants. I think that... Uh, Australia is a little bit further along. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not certain though. And I mean, definitely if you're trying to build uh, two massive plants at the same time, you know, maybe it's easier to swing a deal when you're getting materials for, I don't know, essentially $10 billion in plants. Mm -hmm. But but this is nice. Yeah, it's a nice story. Whenever something is dead and then it's not anymore, it's cool. Mm -hmm. Well, and, <laughs> and, well <it's> like, <laughs> that's as simply as I can put it. That yeah. is, that is. Well, like that. Oh, my goodness. Never. I was going to say like uh, that uh, the old woman they just found at the morgue and then she was still alive. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's not cool. No, no, no. <laughs> like, it was that cool. A, it was cool. She's well, still she's alive. But she's they dead, put her though. in the yeah. bag. Yeah. <laughs> That she's wasn't cool. Yeah. Well, okay. She she passed away like later that day. She's not. Oh, sorry. I did not read the whole story. Uh -huh. yep. So apologies. Back to British Vault. <laughs> um, it's another thing where it might not be a lesson well learned because the other part that we talked about was when uh, a government and a community puts all of their eggs into one basket mm -hmm. and uh, goes under. Well, it looks like there is a potential for uh, a lifeline. We'll see what happens next. Yeah. Um, all right. Final thoughts. Mine's probably going to be an apology to the family. Uh, 
Anna, before we get out of here this week, what's your final thought? All right. So um, I know that I had mentioned a couple weeks back about my daughter um, who turned eight this week having her birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese and um, how we could uh, handle the ticket blaster ticket machine um, to our advantage. Um, we watched some YouTube videos uh, and it, weren't, it was not very effective. We got like 10 extra tickets. So just a heads up. Um, <laughs> thanks for everyone's input, but no. Nah. It didn't pan out. <laughs> yeah. But um, the second thing I want to say about Chuck E. Cheese, for any of you uh, 80s kids who used to go there um, when it was Showbiz Pizza uh, for birthday parties, going back um, today, they have digitized the screen for the performances. There's no more animatronic. They took the stage out. There's no more animatronic singing. and Sad. Are they animated? Uh, they're just like uh, kind of like puppets um, on a, a video on a big oh. digital screen. And then Chuck E. Cheese came out in a, a costume, right? But uh. um, I was super bummed when I realized there was not going to be a performance because I paid <laughs> for a performance and, right? and I, I did not get it. <laughs> yeah. No, that was, uh, oh man, I'm going to miss that. My brothers were so terrified of those things. I loved every time they came I out. I know, k- kids are terrified of them. Um, I was as well, so I don't know what, I, maybe a, it wouldn't have been great. But There's a documentary, I think, about people that own the full, like, Rock of Fire uh, Explosion pizza band from uh, Showbiz. Okay. And oh. they still have them, like, and they keep them in working order. That's and good. And they program them to play, like, modern songs and uh it's really weird, but super cool. Too. <laughs> Sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. That needs to live on. And you know, I thought the uh, the form was pretty good in the uh, the ticket booth. You know, it's just it's an overwhelming sensory overload kind of experience. <laughs> she was definitely shell shocked. There was these goggles that they gave her that were like very ill fitting. So she spent a lot of time just trying to keep them on, and then tickets flying, and she's very small. So um, <laughs> it uh, she had fun though. So yeah. that was the important part. Yeah, she didn't panic. No, she yeah. didn't. No. No. Uh, and at least the wind tunnel didn't like lift her up. <laughs> <No. laughs> um, my uh, final thought this week starts with the, I apologize for any insensitivity towards that family or the story uh, regarding the woman in the morgue. I apologize for that. Um, and also I had a chance to travel to Anaheim this week, which was, you know, again, it was nice to get back on the road and see some uh, friends and coworkers that I haven't run into in a long time. Um, I would say that the overall consensus is that things are starting to pick up a little bit more when it comes to trade show traffic, the quality of trade show traffic. Uh, don't get me wrong. There are still all the legacy excuses that everyone has for being upset at a trade show, just like from the shoes to the walking to the quality of leads to how much it costs to get the lead. That You know, yeah. all of those standard gripes are still there alive and well. But, uh, you know, it seems like uh, people are kind of excited to get back out there. Um, and it just, it was the first trade show I've gone to that seemed like the, the same as it was pre pre COVID. Uh, so I got to meet with, you know, Brian at KHK, uh, Jen at master control and a lot of other people that's, you know, it was just good to catch up with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's sometimes funny because, um, you know, I went there last year and was able to catch up with a lot of people, but some people I haven't seen since before the pandemic yeah just like you know they're married and now i have kids and it's just like how you want to catch up it's like i really don't have the time Mm -hmm. just like let's just uh link in or something and go through the feed we'll get you up to speed but um no it was um i enjoy getting on the road uh we're not planning on traveling as much as we did pre-pandemic but i do really see a value in getting out into the industry meeting on an individual basis and uh kind of really just immersing yourself in the latest things going on. 
Uh, ben, what's your final thought this week? Uh, my final thought is about The Last of Us. I've been watching it. It's yes. on HBO. It's great. I highly recommend it. Um, I played the first game when it came out, too. And at the time when the game came out, I don't remember there being as much uh cordyceps talk okay uh and now it feels like there's a lot and it's scary (laughs) it scares (laughs) me to think about it and i don't want a fungus to take over my brain and turn me into a mushroom monster but the point is i i still eat mushrooms (laughs) but i don't really trust them anymore So do you like, find yourself like not eating raw mushrooms and just really overcooking them? You know, yeah, I have. I don't know what kind of adjustments I need to fully make. Uh, that's still <laughs> kind of a work in progress. But it's like, you know, if people want to order a sausage of mushroom pizza, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> do you want to play Mario Kart? I used to take Toad. But now I'm not so sure about that guy. <laughs> uh, if there's ever a person that's going to be the hero of the Cordycep apocalypse, Toad will reign supreme and be there to rescue us all. I hope, but I'm skeptical. Yeah, that, I guess that's what I'm saying. I, I never thought this much about fungus, and it it worries me. I want to know when that first episode debuted, what is the, the first, what, like maybe five or ten minutes is the... Uh, scientists setting the table as to what a cordyceps is i want to see and i'm sure it's out there what the google data shows from people because like i was immediately like there's no way that's real right oh my god it's real <laughs> it's, it's real. real and they harvest <laughs> they slowly consume the uh host from the inside until there's nothing left yep <laughs> <laughs> So you're saying you're anti-cordyceps? Yeah, I don't, I don't want that, and it's, it's sad that it's turned me kind of um, skeptical of all mushrooms, but it has. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, you know, I'm four episodes in too, and I just, I've never been heavier into mushrooms. Maybe I've already been drawn to the other side. Like it's already you've been cordyceps. I've been yeah. cordyceps. Yeah, it's like what if I lose the tingling in the fingers or something? If that goes first. <laughs> um, well, I know that Jeff's out this week. Do we have anything with the uh, the podcast poll, or are we just putting a pin in that until next week? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I am on the spot. Yeah. No. All right. No. Okay. So. Uh, <laughs> Nobody told Ben. Yeah. yeah. Jeff apparently. <laughs> there could be. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff went and he found that fishing spot before having the full conversation with Ben. So it turns out we're going to uh, have our podcast poll continue on through to the next week. Um, and I believe, was it the union question that we asked last week? Mm, no no it yeah would you join or advise oh no no that wasn't that may be it oh okay um you know what it's the same as last week so whatever last week's was you ever looked the other way on a known safety issue wasn't oh yeah because of the duct taped uh the duct tape deal right yeah okay um have you ever looked the other way on a known safety issue yeah and i'm sure we'll we'll get a we'll get an email out to you oh and if so why so please continue to, uh, if you haven't already, uh, participate with the podcast polling question. If we read it on air next week, I think you get a shirt or I don't even know what we're working on next, but I'm sure it'll be fine. We'll get a weather vane. <laughs> um, all right. 
Well, before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. If you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Ben, David, or Anna at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure that you get it delivered to your inbox first. Also, make sure to subscribe to us at IN Magazine on YouTube so you get a notification when we go live and you can join us for the live podcast podcast jeff hope you're catching anything more than cold and you don't come home and say did a lot of fishing not a lot of catching uh and before we get out of here seth says nice work to all i'm sure he says miss you jeff (laughs) um no thanks for hanging out seth we appreciate it all right for ben munson anna wells and jeff who's on some lake somewhere in northern wisconsin i'm david manti this is the today manufacturing podcast and we'll see you next week Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.